0: Good morning, Uh, my first request this morning would be that you pray for me after having those children up here and then that song, uh, I'm not sure I can hardly get through preaching without crying, so uh, I'm just so deeply touched uh, by that song and of course part of it's new and part of it's the words, part of it's the music, which I don't know anything about, so, uh, but I'm just, uh, just amazing, isn't it? I'm just very thankful to be a part of the church here. I'm very grateful for their assemblies on Sunday morning and, and people that helped to make it such an enriching and encouraging experience from a tech crew uh, that keeps those things going. We only notice them when it goes wrong, right? So since Patrick was up there, I teased him. I said, if something goes wrong, I'm just going to call you stupid, okay? I know we're not supposed to, I'm not supposed to use that word. So uh, anyway, I did. I slipped up. Not, not really. Uh, so, and then people that prepare the communion and do all that. Uh, the the children up here, I just I just love that what they're learning. Uh, Alex and teaching us new songs. That's just uh, adds uh, adds such great enrichment to everything. And and uh, I just am usually come home very uh, encouraged. I can't think of a time when I wasn't uh, being here. So, and with the rest of you as well. Let's pray and ask God's help. Uh, as you listen and I try and share this morning. Father, thank You so much for this morning. We've already uh, just had a rich experience uh, in praising You and speaking to You, bringing our request to You, sharing in communion with You and with one another, and now we look forward to hearing Your Word. Father, I pray you'll help me uh, to be a good communicator this morning, to deliver the message in a way that's honorable and uh, true to Jesus' spirit. In his name, amen. Have you ever had uh, some close calls, maybe missed out on something? If you've lived very long, surely you have, if even it's uh, as small as missing a bus. I mean, I just hate that feeling, or missed a plane. Uh, there have been times when I've you've been in an airport, maybe I've been in an airport and uh, I've got you know I've got an hour to get to mine so I'm you know taking my time and then somebody comes running by and they're they're pulling a suitcase behind them and you know, you know what's happening, right? I mean they're trying to get to the gate before the door's closed. And sometimes I just think, I don't think they're gonna make it, you know, they're just not fast enough. Um, perhaps I saw when the gate was going to be closed and stuff, and my heart just kind of kind of sinks for them. Uh, a few Olympics ago, uh, some of you know Michael Phelps. I don't even remember how many Olympic medals this guy has won in swimming, uh, but I like to watch those events, like to watch the Olympics. And one of them, and I don't remember if it was a relay, uh, perhaps just a single uh, event, and uh, there was another, another athlete that was just right with him, maybe at some point just, uh, just a little bit ahead of him. And then just as they touched the wall on the final lap, Phelps made just this surge and touched the wall just before the other athlete. And I kind of wanted the other athlete. I, I was torn. I didn't know except that I just thought, I wish the guy who got the silver would have missed it by two yards, you know, yeah. to be that close. I think it was a split second. You couldn't really tell it by looking, and they'd show it over and over again in slow motion, and uh, I had a hard time telling, but of course electronic stuff and touching it, and he just, he just missed it after years of training the gold, and we hold the gold up so high that… Uh, I guess it's uh, great to win the silver, but that close, to miss something uh, that close. A number of years ago, there was a movie out called A Bridge Too Far. There's probably two of you that have seen it, uh, besides me. Uh, The storyline is during World War II, when Allies were trying to take several bridges that the Nazis controlled uh, in the Netherlands, and uh, part of it, it was just almost uh, too much for me, hard for me to watch this movie because a number of disastrous decisions were made that just seemed so, so terrible and that things could have turned out differently. And so the bridges were not taken. One of the mistakes made was that the radios they had in Europe, were using in Europe, had originally been used and designed for arid Africa. And so they got these radios, communication, to Europe. It was raining and too far a distance, and they couldn't communicate with another, another. just resulting in a total, total disaster for the Allies. And as I, 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 when those sort of things happen, I just think, how could this have happened? It was a bridge too far. They just missed the opportunity because of really bad decisions. The Bible is full of near misses, of people being close to God and not quite yet getting it. Jesus' ministry was full of near misses. When he was walking along and teaching and people would see him, even touch him and listen to him and brush by him and somehow not quite get what he was up to it. They missed the kingdom of God. We're in a series, presently in a sermon series, about the kingdom of God. As Patrick has stated, an understanding of the kingdom of God is foundational to understanding what it means to have God be the king in your life. In other words, for God to rule and reign in your life. For him to be on the throne of your life. Fundamentally at its core the kingdom of God to no surprise is about the king. That is his nature, his character, his will, his love, his priorities. And if we do not have a clear vision of the king. Then we can build a kingdom that is not of the king. Our text this morning records a perplexing event in Jesus' life. Of course, there are many perplexing, and this is just one other one. It is frequently called the triumphal entry, and the Apostle John places it on the Sunday before the crucifixion. We'll read through it. I haven't included the total uh, text, uh, just some significant ones, but it's in Matthew 21 if you want to use your Bible or just listen along. As they, as Jesus and others, approached Jerusalem, so it was common for pilgrims to head to Jerusalem for celebrations. They come up these roads. They come up towards uh, Jerusalem. They came to Bethphage, which is on the north side, on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, and I'm thinking, yeah, I think somebody's going to say something to you. Tell him that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. Matthew adds, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey even on a colt the foal of a donkey the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed him they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Which by this time kind of was a combination word crying out for a prayer, a request like save us, but also a blessing on the Lord, a song of praise. So Hosanna, request and praise to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this great celebration as Jesus entered, then when they get to Jerusalem, the whole city had noticed what was occurring and asked, who is this? Who is this? And the crowds answered, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. On the surf it appears that the crowd recognizes who Jesus is, for they were shouting this, Hosanna, Lord, save us. They were proclaiming that someone was coming in the name of the Lord. They were honoring Jesus by placing palm branches and clothes in, in, the, in the roadway for Him. And then the whole city, such a stir that the whole city was aware that something even more unusual than normal was occurring. But there are indications that the crowds did not really get the significance of Jesus' identity nor His actions. For the most part, they missed it. We know that because when asked who Jesus was, the crowds answered, they didn't answer, Jesus the Messiah. They said simply, it's the prophet from Nazareth. Secondly, Mark's account tells us that Jesus either alone or with the twelve, only with the twelve, went to the temple and looked around, which tells us by the time they got to Jerusalem, the crowds dispersed, probably to find lodging, and uh, if they hadn't already arranged it, and to eat something. So they're gone. So the big celebration, and then everybody kind of breaks up. I guess they had the final prayer, right? John tells us that even the disciples did not realize the significance of the entry until Jesus was glorified. And then Luke tells us that as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he looked over it and he wept. So great celebration, and yet Jesus looks over the city and he cries and said, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another. That happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans came Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In the excitement and busyness of the Passover celebration, Jerusalem had missed the coming of the Passover lamb. In other words, as was true throughout his life, most people didn't get what Jesus was about even if they had seen Him with their own eyes and heard Him with their own ears, and the results were devastating. I would suggest that little has changed in 20th century. Our culture operates on many levels with different values than those of Jesus. The values of our culture are part of the fabric of our lives, so it's, I think it's difficult sometimes to sort it all out um, in terms of what's acceptable to Jesus and which things are really contrary to his will. The challenge, I think, is also increased when our leaders, whether religious or political or military, co-opt Jesus for their agenda and claim his backing for what they do. Phillips Brooks, an American preacher, spoke to this struggle struggle, uh, over a 100 years ago. And see if it sounds relevant today. He writes, the great danger facing all of us, let me say it again, for one feels it tremendously, is not that we should make an absolute failure of life, nor that we should fall into outright viciousness, nor that we should be terribly unhappy nor that we should feel like that life has no meaning at all. Those are not the dangers, as he saw it. The danger is that we may fail to perceive life's greatest meaning, fall short of its highest good, miss the deepest and most abiding happiness, be unable to tender the most needed service, Be unconscious of life ablaze with the light of the presence of God and be content to have it so. That's the danger. The great danger is that someday we may wake up and find that always we've been busy with husks and trappings of life and have really missed life itself. For life without God to one who has known the richness and joy of life with him is unthinkable. Amen. It is impossible. That is what we pray that one's friends may be spared of. Satisfaction with a life that falls short of the best, that has in it no tingle or thrill that comes through a friendship with God. That's what we pray our friends will be spared from. What is Brooks saying? He says the great danger is that even if we are religious religious and a good person, we could miss out on God. God might be easy in our midst and we simply fail to see and hear him because we're too easily satisfied with the crumbs of life rather than the feast that Jesus provides In urging us to take time to sit at Jesus' feet, I also want us to remind us, and, and so that's kind of this exhortation piece and warning piece, but I'll just want to say, uh, in, in pulling it all together here, it's important to know, and this is, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've said this, but it's always striking to me, I almost, when I say it to myself, I almost have to say, really? Jesus is more interested in a relationship than you are <laughs> with you i find that great news it's not as though god and jesus are just wanting us to uh you know they're kind of holding back and so uh you know we've got a we've got to really work hard at this thing and uh somehow appease them and maybe there's a long shot they would want to have a relationship with us God all through history has been initiating and sustaining and protecting and revitalizing and renewing people and is eager to do so. There's this. Uh, it just occurred to me this morning uh, uh, that, that there's this sometimes used in evangelistic text. It's in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. And it's really to a church that is lukewarm and having a lot of struggles and you, you, there is warning in it Uh, But you would think Jesus would just be saying, I'm I'm done. And he does have a warning there, but he says, uh, behold, right? I'm right at the door, and I'm knocking. And if you'll open it, if you'll open the door, I'll come in, and we'll have supper. I just love that, that image of Jesus knocking on the door of our lives. Jesus has shown by his life, death, and resurrection that he will not hold back anything in order to be with you. Don't you like that? I love that. So I want to leave you with this this morning, a couple of texts on encouragement. The first one I don't have on a slide, but it's from Romans chapter 10, and it kind of addresses this thing boy, what have we got to do to get to God? How hard is it? Paul writes, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. So there is a difficult way. By law, you won't get there. But the righteousness that is by faith. There's a different way to God. It's by faith, it's by trusting Him. Uh, it does not say it says don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven or who will descend in the deep in other words do we do we have how do we get to up heaven or is God down here and how do we how do we reach those swings those say it seems so difficult but what does it say it says the word is near you the word is near you it's so close It is in your mouth, in your heart, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the foundation block. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. In other words, the way to Jesus is by trusting him, and it's not beyond us. And finally, for Christians, this word of assurance from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Don't you like that? (laughs) Uh, Jesus is not like my old football coach. I'm very grateful for that, more than you can imagine, perhaps. Rather, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we have been, yet without sin. And so, let us approach the throne of grace, God's throne, whose characteristic is grace, with boldness, with confidence I just love that image of walking into God's throne room just uh, not arrogant or presumptuous but uh, it's all it just feels almost uh, I, I almost w- wonder if I should say confidence and boldness <laughs> and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying though you come into to God's, God's room God's throne room and when you walk in, you walk in like you're a son or daughter of God. Because that's what you are. And you can do it with cold confidence. And the purpose is that you come in not with your act altogether, but you come in to receive mercy and grace to help when you're in need. I just hope that. That's encouraging uh, to us. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I thought about it. I mean, some of you have been following Jesus more than I have and less and all those sort of things, and are, I, I, we're just uh, serious about following Jesus here. I just know that over some 40 years in following that uh, sometimes it's, it's even easy to get involved in all the trappings of church and doing ministry and one other thing, and, and I'm just urging us and reminding us to stay close to Him among all the other things, that we don't miss him in some way and that we don't have the husk and all that sort of thing and miss the glory of God in our midst. And we learn how to see that and help one another see it. We're going to have a prayer and then a song of response. Father, we come to your throne right now Sort of, uh, in some ways, uh, fearful, but you've said to come confidently, so we're trying to do that, uh, to find mercy and grace. We, we confess that uh, we're often not uh, as tuned in to your presence as we ought to be. Things in life just naturally distract us a lot, and we request your help to be better focused on that, to be more aware of how you bless and help serve and care for us every day, and to share that with others in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a response to the Lord, and that will be our closing. Turn my heart. But, oh Lord like rivers of water.